Hi everyone, welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of abnormal uterine bleeding, or AUB, found under the gynecology section at medbullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A 39-year-old woman presents with abnormal heavy menstrual bleeding, along with increased pelvic pressure. She denies pain and is not using any hormonal contraception. She uses multiple sanitary pads per day. On pelvic exam, there is an enlarged uterus with asymmetric contours. The uterus is non-tender to palpation. This is a case of uterine leiomyomas. Let's continue with an introduction to abnormal uterine bleeding. As a general summary, remember that this is also known as dysfunctional uterine bleeding, or DUB, and it refers to abnormal menstrual bleeding with regards to quantity, duration, or schedule. Also remember that the patient must not be pregnant. Therefore, pregnancy must be ruled out. In terms of its etiology, causes can include structural abnormalities, such as from adenomyosis, uterine fibroids, malignancy, and polyps. Other causes may include bleeding disorders and coagulopathies, medications, anovulation, and genital infections. Causes can be remembered with the mnemonic palm coin. This refers to polyps, adenomyosis, leiomyomas, malignancy and hyperplasia, coagulopathy, ovulatory dysfunction, endometrial, iatrogenic, such as from medications, and not yet classified, such as from arteriovenous malformations and chronic endometritis. In terms of the pathogenesis, the mechanism of abnormal uterine bleeding from anovulation is due to the fact that the corpus luteum does not form. Then there is an absence of progesterone, and the unopposed estrogen continues to proliferate the endometrium. Then, the endometrium becomes unstable and outgrows its blood supply. Eventually, the endometrial sloughing and breakthrough bleeding results. Moving on to the presentation. Symptoms may include variation of normal menstrual cycles, symptoms of anemia, such as lightheadedness and shortness of breath, and physical exam findings will be dependent on the etiology. They may include obesity, hirsutism, and acanthosis nigricans, which can suggest polycystic ovarian syndrome, or there may be an enlarged pelvic mass, which may suggest a leiomyoma. In terms of other imaging studies, a transvaginal ultrasound is first line in adult patients when assessing for structural abnormalities. In terms of other studies, the evaluation will be dependent on the likely cause of the abnormal uterine bleeding. This may include beta-HCG in order to rule out pregnancy and can be a serum or a urine test. Blood testing may include a complete blood count. Coagulation studies should be considered in patients with a history of bleeding disorders. Thyroid-stimulating hormone should be checked in those with a history concerning for thyroid disease. An endometrial biopsy can be considered in patients that are greater than 45 years of age, patients that are refractory to treatment, or patients less than 45 years of age with a high risk of endometrial cancer. In terms of the differential, make sure to refer to the mnemonic palm coin discussed previously. With regards to treatment, remember that this should be aimed at the underlying cause of abnormal uterine bleeding. In cases of heavy menstrual bleeding, which are most commonly due to leiomyomas or adenomyosis, one may consider hormone therapy, such as estrogen progestin contraception or levonor gastrol releasing intrauterine devices, which are first line. Progestin-only treatment is also reasonable. One may also consider NSAIDs or tranexamic acid, which can be used in patients who do not want to be treated with hormone therapy or have contraindications. 
the NSAIDs decrease endometrial prostaglandin synthesis, which results in decreased blood loss. The trinexamic acid prevents plasminogen from being converted to plasmin. This, in turn, decreases fibrinolysis. In cases of menstrual bleeding due to ovulatory dysfunction, one may simply reassure their pediatric patients. Remember that in a pediatric patient, it is a normal finding secondary to an immature hypothalamic pituitary ovarian access. However, one may consider hormone therapy, such as estrogen progestin contraceptives, oral progestin therapy, or levonor gestural releasing intrauterine devices, which are all first line. However, remember that oral progestin therapy has a higher failure rate than estrogen progestin contraceptives, and they should be used only if there are contraindications to estrogen progestin contraceptives or if this is the patient's preference. Surgical treatment options should be used in cases that are refractory to medical therapy or if it is the patient's preference. Remember that heavy menstrual bleeding due to leiomyomas or adenomyomas is an indication for surgery. However, one must assess whether the patient wants to become pregnant or has completed childbearing. Specific options include myomectomy, which can be an option in patients who desire future pregnancy. Other options include endometrial ablation, uterine artery embolization, and hysterectomy. However, remember that this is a definitive therapy. Complications related to abnormal uterine bleeding are that the patient may be at increased risk for endometrial cancer or hyperplasia in AUB secondary to anovulation. And lastly, with regards to prognosis, remember that treatment may improve the quality of life. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to abnormal uterine bleeding, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 36-year-old, nully gravid woman presents to the clinic with seven months of abnormal uterine bleeding. Her menstrual periods previously occurred regularly, with only light cramping. For the past seven months, she reports week-long bleeding in between her menstrual periods. She takes no medications. She is currently in a monogamous relationship and is interested in having children. Her vital signs are normal. Speculum exam shows normal vaginal and cervical mucosa without any lesions or ulcers, and the remainder of the physical exam is normal. A pelvic ultrasound demonstrates normal adnexa with a thickened endometrial stripe of 8 millimeters. Endometrial biopsy demonstrates endometrial hyperplasia with atypia. Lab tests demonstrate a hemoglobin of 10.8 grams per deciliter, platelets that are 180,000 per millimeter cubed, a urine beta-HCG, which is negative. Her TSH is normal, and her prolactin level is normal. Which of the following is the best next step in management of this patient? And the answer choices are Choice 1, colposcopy Choice 2, hysterectomy Choice 3, loop excision Choice 4, progestin therapy or choice five, repeat pelvic ultrasound in one year. The best answer to this question is choice four, progestin therapy. This patient has a biopsy proven diagnosis of endometrial hyperplasia with atypia, which has a high risk of progression to endometrial cancer. Since the patient has a desire for future pregnancy, progestin therapy instead of hysterectomy is the appropriate choice of management. Hysterectomy is curative for endometrial hyperplasia and is the treatment for most women who are good surgical candidates with no desire for future pregnancy. However, 
Progestin therapy has been found to be an effective treatment for endometrial hyperplasia with atypia in meta-analyses of observational data. Therapy in premenopausal women should be combined with endometrial sampling every three to six months for one year in order to monitor disease progression or regression. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Colposcopy is used to evaluate patients with gross abnormalities of the cervix in order to screen for cervical cancer. This patient has a normal appearing cervix. Choice 2. Hysterectomy is the mainstay of treatment for most patients with endometrial hyperplasia with atypia. However, in patients who wish to preserve fertility or otherwise cannot tolerate surgery, progestin therapy is an acceptable treatment option. Choice 3. Loop excision is an electrosurgical procedure used to obtain cervical tissue in the evaluation of cervical cancer. It is typically done in patients found to have cervical intraepithelial lesions on pap smear. Choice 5. Repeating pelvic ultrasound in one year would be an inappropriate choice in a patient with endometrial hyperplasia with atypia. The likely underlying cause of the patient's presentation, which may be unopposed estrogen levels, must be corrected with progestin therapy in order to decrease the risk of progression to endometrial cancer. Finally, a bullet summary. Progestin therapy is a viable treatment option for patients with endometrial hyperplasia with atypia who prefer to preserve fertility or are poor candidates for hysterectomy. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 27-year-old woman presents to the emergency department with profuse vaginal bleeding. She has had these symptoms in the past. However, today she called her gynecologist, who told her to come to the emergency department given the persistence of her symptoms. The profuse bleeding always happens during her menstrual period with an otherwise regular duration of menses with no intermenstrual cycle bleeding. She denies chest pain, dyspnea, or fainting. The patient has a past medical history of photosensitive rashes, kidney dysfunction, anemia, mood disorders, and recurrent pregnancy losses. Her temperature is 36.8 degrees Celsius, or 98.2 degrees Fahrenheit. Blood pressure is 100 over 60. Pulse is 80 beats per minute. Respirations are 15 breaths per minute. And oxygen saturation is 100% on room air. Physical exam reveals a non-tender abdomen with a large amount of blood and clots in the vaginal vault. A transvaginal ultrasound and basic labs, including coagulation studies, are unremarkable. Which of the following would be the most appropriate management of this patient? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Combined estrogen progesterone therapy. Choice 2. Ibuprofen. Choice 3. Progesterone intrauterine device. Choice 4. Progesterone oral therapy. Or choice 5. Tranexamic acid. The best answer to this question is choice 3. Progesterone intrauterine device. This patient with the history of systemic lupus erythematosus as evidenced by the photosensitive rash, kidney dysfunction, anemia, mood disorder, and recurrent pregnancy losses which suggest a hypercoagulable state is presenting with menorrhagia, which is heavy menses occurring regularly. An appropriate first-line agent for this hypercoagulable patient would be a progesterone intrauterine device, which would reduce the severity of her vaginal bleeding. Menorrhagia presents with profuse, persistent vaginal bleeding, which occurs during menses. Possible causes of menorrhagia should be worked up and ruled out prior to assuming it is merely heavy menstrual bleeding. 
Possible causes include polyps, adenomyosis, leiomyoma, malignancy, and coagulopathy. Once alternative diagnoses have been ruled out, management involves administering medications that regulate the menstrual cycle and reduce bleeding. The appropriate treatment is dependent upon the side effects of the drug. Oral contraceptive pills and oral progesterone therapy can be used for menorrhagia and will regulate the menstrual cycle. However, they are contraindicated in patients with hypercoagulable states, such as a history of deep venous thromboses, pulmonary emboli, or hereditary conditions such as systemic lupus erythematosus or factor V Leiden. A progesterone intrauterine device is also appropriate as it can reduce menstrual bleeding and does not significantly increase the risk of hypercoagulability, thus making it a viable option for this patient. Persistent, severe, and refractory cases may be treated with a hysterectomy if the patient does not wish to have children. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choices 1 and 4. Combined estrogen-progesterone therapy or progesterone oral therapy is appropriate treatment of menorrhagia and can reduce the symptoms a patient experiences during their menses, including bleeding and pain. In this patient with systemic lupus erythematosus and a history of recurrent abortions, this likely represents a hypercoagulable state. Thus, oral contraceptive pills and oral progesterone should be avoided. Choice 2. Ibuprofen is a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug that could improve pain and bleeding in menorrhagia by reducing local prostaglandin levels. It would be contraindicated in this patient who has chronic kidney disease secondary to lupus as it could worsen kidney function by decreasing prostaglandin levels. Choice 5. Tranexamic acid is an antifibrinolytic agent that can reduce menstrual bleeding in menorrhagia. Tranexamic acid increases the risk of thrombosis and should be avoided in this patient with lupus and recurrent pregnancy loss. Finally, a bullet summary. Intrauterine progesterone devices can be used to prevent menorrhagia and are safe in patients with a history of a hypercoagulable state. That's all for this review about abnormal uterine bleeding. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here, on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.